your Bibles this morning before you uh, open them, you already have them open, just lift them up. Would you encourage your pastor today just by lifting up your... And I love to see that. Goodness gracious. And your digital Bibles, I see those lights too. That's wonderful. Just wonderful. Man, that encourages my heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're finding your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you're our guest today, I'm an expository preacher, which means I just start at one book and I go through. And uh, we started several weeks ago going through this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. And we've learned so far that the overarching theme throughout the entire letter is commitment. Paul wants the church at Corinth to be more committed to him more than anything at all. You see, Corinth and the church at Corinth, they were committed to several other things. They were committed more to their giftedness. They were committed more to their cliques and their little groups. And they weren't committed to Jesus Christ like they should be. So Paul, who founded the church, as we find in the book of Acts, heard about what was going on. Apollos was their pastor. Paul was their founding pastor. And so Paul sat down and he wrote a letter to them that we know as 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, he addresses 11 topics that he wants the church to work on. The first thing that we talked about, the first section that we talked about was committed to thankfulness. Paul says, regardless of the direction that you're going in, I want you to know, church, I'm thankful for you because you have the potential to reach more people for Jesus Christ. And he shared his thankfulness in that first chapter. And then he transitioned from thankfulness to a six series of messages that I was preaching along with the help of dear brother Mark Thomas, who did an outstanding job uh, last week. He talked about this issue of unity. For six sermons, six weeks, he dealt with the issue of unity, which was vital and probably one of the most major issues that Corinth had. They were splintered, they were divided, they were segregated. And Paul says, look, if you're going to get anywhere for the gospel of Jesus Christ, you got to come together. And you got to come together and you got to rally around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, he's about to transition once again in chapter 4. He's not going to talk about thankfulness anymore. He's not going to talk about unity anymore. He's going to transition in chapter 4 and he's going to talk about servanthood. Being a servant. In particular, in these first five verses, he's going to talk about true servanthood. What does it mean to be a true servant? And as he talks about this, there are only two points, once again today, that he gives. There are only two things that he says about what true servanthood looks like and what it really is. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at these five verses, and I want us to see what true servanthood is all about. So if you found your place in your Bible and you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? For context, I want us to look at verse 23 of chapter 3 first, just for context. Because there's a word in chapter 3, verse 23, that if you miss, you'll miss this whole teaching. Notice what he says there in verse 23. And ye are Christ's, and Christ is is God's. So I want you to know, he's talking to the entire church congregation. He says, church, you, you born-again children of God, you are in Jesus Christ, and Christ is in God. So we need to understand that. So we look at what he says as he begins this new teaching. 
Let a man so account for us. There's the key. Us. Me. Our staff. You. He's talking about everybody here. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not thereby justified. But he that judgeth is the Lord. He that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. You may be seated for prayer. Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, I yield myself to you. I ask, Lord Jesus, for the anointing of God. Fill me all the way to the top. I pray this church, Lord, here as their pastor, would see less of me and more of you. God, the last thing on earth we need is another sermon. So I pray that as we look into your word, we would see that this is a message from the very throne room of God. We love you. And we thank you for loving us. Speak to our hearts now from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In our text this morning, Paul's going to explain what it means to be a true servant of God. And from his instructions, we see two things. Number one, the first thing we see is in verse 1 and 2. In that text, we see an explanation of true servanthood. An explanation of true servanthood. Look at what the Bible says again. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul wants the world to consider Christian leaders, workers, and church members as two distinct individuals. Did you see it there in the text? He says, I want you, I want the world to consider you as number one, cooperating servants cooperating servants look at verse number one again he says let a man so account of us he says when the world looks at us when a man when a woman that word man there means mankind when mankind humanity looks at Maysville Baptist Church when they look at the congregation at Maysville Baptist Church when they look at the leadership of Maysville Baptist Church when they look at the pastor at Maysville Baptist Church they, they ought to see cooperating servants we're cooperating together and he says actually two things here in observation when he's talking about this thing of cooperating servants. Number one, he says there needs to be a calculated investigation. A calculated investigation. Look at, one, at verse 1 again. It's right there. Notice your Bibles. Have your pens out. You're ready to mark in them. He says, so let a man so account of us. That word account there in this passage of Scripture is a very fascinating Greek word because it is written in the present tense. He says, today, the world ought to look at the church, the people of this world, look at the church, and when they look at us, presently, today, 
They see something. What do they see? Well, it's in the middle voice, which means it's not our responsibility to tell them what to believe. They ought to be able to look at us and believe. It's also in the imperative mood, which means, if you will, it's a simple statement of fact. The imperative, if you will, excuse me, is that of a command. It's a command for them to look at us and say, Hey, look at our leadership. Look at what we're doing. You ought to be able to look at us in such a way and see that we're all pulling in the same direction. As a matter of fact, it's fascinating. This word account, we also see it in the Bible as the word reckon. Reckon. It means to count for, to take account of, to calculate. Paul is telling those that were around the church to presently look at the leadership, to presently calculate their actions and see if they're cooperating together in an attempt to the same task. Now listen to me, church. Four years ago, you voted me on this day, four years ago, to be your pastor. Man, I'm so excited and look back what God has done over these past four years. And man, I'm so tickled and excited. It was right here at this platform that I said that we're going to attack hell with a water pistol. And man, we got the Word of God and the Gospel in one hand. And y'all remember, y'all came in with those water pistols in the other. And we said, we're ready, Pastor. Lead us on. Let's go. Four years later, here we are. We've added new staff. We've watched the debt come down. We've added new classrooms. We're building a new building out there so we can have just a space for one more person. We've added a new service. The, the fact of the matter is simply this. As you study us, as you look at us, and you look at me and Phil and David and Mark and Justin and Chris and Karen and Judy, and you look at us and you see, are we all leading you in the same direction, loving God, loving others, and serving the world? Oh, what it thrills my soul soul to see us moving forward for the gospel of Jesus Christ. A calculated investigation. But watch this. He says not only should there be a calculated investigation, there ought to be a corporate confession. What do you mean? Well, look at what the Bible says here. There it is in the text. He says, so let them mount account of us. They're looking at us and they're taking an account and here's their conclusions. Here's their corporate confession. Those folks over there are ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So we find here in this text, this corporate confession, it encompasses, if you would, or encapsulates two particular ministries, two particular individuals. Number one, as ministers of Christ. The Greek word here is huperetes, uh, and it means one who serves with their hands. It is a word used to describe a slave in the galley of a boat with their hands on a row, sitting on, on an oar, sitting beside somebody who's got their hands on an oar, sitting beside somebody else who has their hands on an oar, and all down that galley you find that they have their hands on their oars and they're ready and prepared to move and operate as one individual. There you have the beat, if you would. And as that beat comes down upon that drum, they are to row in accordance to that cadence. It speaks of an under-rower. What he's saying here is that you and I, as born-again children of God, we have the gospel inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And it's our responsibility to get that gospel out. And if we're going to get that gospel out, we've got to have a rally cry. And that rally cry, if you would, is loving God, loving others, serving the world. And as we rally around that rally cry, we notice that we are not the captain. I'm not the captain. Who is the captain? Jesus 
is the captain. Every one of us are just galley slaves with our hands on the oar and we're pulling and we're rowing in the same direction. I'm going to tell you what, if you have one side rowing differently than the other side, then you're just going to go around in circles. But if we're all rowing together, we're heading in a particular direction. And what is the direction that Maysville Baptist Church is rowing in? We're rowing in the direction to reach one more person for Jesus Christ. Just one more. Let's reach just one more and snatch and see them snatched out of hell so they'll know that they're going to heaven when they die. This must be a pretty good message. It just broke my watch. Bless God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I did break my watch though. When you think about us being galley slaves, and if your pastor's not the captain, and the staff's not the captain, and the deacons aren't the captain, then bless God, who's the captain? The Bible says Jesus is the captain. So where does it say that, pastor? I'd like to know that verse. I'm going to give it to you. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews 2.10 says this, For it became him for whom are all things... And by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. And if Jesus is the captain, and we as Christians are galley slaves, then you ought to be able to look at Maysville Baptist Church and see that we're moving in a particular direction. And so this morning, I, I just thought about, and I began to write some things down this week. And, and as I was writing them down, I, I was just asking myself the question, what happens when we row together at Maysville Baptist Church? If we all have our hands, if you would, on the oar, and we're rowing in the same direction to the cadence of loving God, loving others, and serving the world, then what do we see at Maysville? I'll tell you what we see. Number one, we see our Sunday school grow. We, we see Sunday school teachers, if you would, like Brother Jeff Holloway that's sitting right here, who sees his class grow and just simply says this, we need to birth a class. He's not, listen, he's not trying to build him a, him a little congregation down there in his, in, in, in his Sunday school class just to see if he can be the biggest one at Maysville Baptist Church. No, he realizes the importance of the gospel that if Maysville Baptist Church is going to go, they need to reach just one more for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jeff, you're rowing with us. You're rowing in that same direction. I thought about number two. We reach lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have people like Mick who comes up here and shares how he's starting this new Sunday school class. Why? Or, or excuse me, how he's uh, going into, or how he, how he partook in faith. Why? So that he could go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and see just one more soul be saved. He's rowing in the same direction. Well, we see that if, we, uh, if we're mo 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 excuse me, rowing in the same direction, then we don't want to miss church due to FOMO. You know what FOMO is? If you don't know what FOMO is, raise your hand. I'm going to tell you. FOMO is the fear of missing out. 
Man, when your Sunday school class has FOMO, when your church has FOMO, you want to be here because you, you don't know what you miss out. But here's what's happened. You lay out a church one Sunday, and then you come in like this right here, and my stars, they sing the roof off this place, and they glorify God, y'all laughing and, and clapping and praising God and shouting and just thanking God and praising God. And then somebody gets there on social media and says, man, God showed up today. That was an incredible service. And somebody goes, man, I wish I was there. Well, you could have been. Don't miss out. The fear of missing out. Don't you miss what God's got for you today. How about this? I wrote this down. We start seeing, start seeing new ministries reach the lost people in this area. Several years ago, in the parking lot right out here, uh, uh, Michael uh, Runnels come up to me and he said, uh, Pastor, he said, I've been working with 4-H for a long time. He said, we've been doing... Uh, archery for a long time. I really think an archery ministry would be good. Well, bless God, I don't know a thing about archery. I don't have a clue about archery. I said, well, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. I thought we'd have 12 or 15 people. That ministry reaches over 100 people every single year. And as it's been going for these past three years, they've seen over 120 people saved. They're, mo they're, they're rowing in the same direction. The bow shoot yesterday, been doing this ministry for how many years? David, how many years bow shoot's been going on? 11 years. 11 years. For 11 years, rowing in the same direction. Yesterday, 11 souls gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Amen. What are we doing? We're rowing. Rowing in the same direction. Uh, I'm going to tell you something else I wrote down. I wrote this down. I didn't know about today. I didn't know what's happening today. I didn't. Uh, we have a full choir every service to minister to one another. When we start rowing in the same direction, listen, you don't just want to sing in the choir to fulfill a duty that you had. But you want to sing in the choir because you want to minister to people. Because your voice counts. Those songs count. And you want to be engaged. You want to be involved in that. Why? Because we're rowing in the same direction. How about this one? We actively watch our debt go down while at the same time create more space for just one more people. Four years ago, I stood behind this uh, pulpit, and as I stood behind the pulpit, we're at $2.4 million worth of debt. Today, I stand up here to tell you we're at $1.1 million worth of debt. I'm telling you, you've been faithful to God. God's doing a work. Souls are being saved. Lives are being changed. People are being baptized. I'm telling you, the gospel's going out. Let's keep rowing together. When we cooperate together, we're stronger. When we cooperate together, we're smarter, we're more courageous, we're bolder. When we cover more ground than one person doing it alone. Look how far we've come in four years. What Paul does is he gives us an explanation of true servanthood. Now he takes us a step further here and he says, not only is a servant cooperating together, they're cooperating servants. But watch this, he says a second thing in the text. What does he say? He says, you're also committed stewards. Look at the Bible. Let's look at it here. Let's not just take the preacher's word. Let's make sure this is what the Bible says. He says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, what I find fascinating about this is you've got to read verse 2 also with this, this second half. Why? Because he gives us insight. He says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, remember who he's talking to here. This letter was written to the church at Corinth. And although he's talking about leadership, he's also included in chapter 3, verse 23, he's also included all of us as born-again children of God. 
And he says there, as born-again children of God, as a true servant of Jesus Christ, not only are we going to be cooperating servants, but we're also going to be committed stewards. And as committed stewards, he says two things that are vitally important that I don't want you to miss. Look at what he says. Number one, the first thing he says there is he says, he talks about this issue of a repeated mandate. He says there's a mandate and he repeats it twice. What is the mandate that he repeats twice? Well, let's find it if we could in verse 4 in the latter part. He says, you're stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So he mentions the word stewards twice. That's not, you've got you to check it out. You've got to underline that. You've got to highlight it. Why? Because it's a repeated mandate. Well, what's the mandate for the steward? It's found in verse number 2. That a man be found faithful. That's the mandate. It is required of you and I to be found faithful. Did you know this word stewards occurs ten times in the Word of God? Ten times in the New Testament, the word steward occurs. And as it occurs, every time it deals with someone who manages the affairs of others. Uh, it appears in Scripture uh, as an individual from finances to farmland and everything in between. But in this passage of Scripture, it's vastly different because what it's requiring you and I to be stewards of is not finances, not farmland, but the gospel. Hey. You are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, it is required. That word required is a present tense, passive voice, indicative mood, uh, verb, if you would, in that requirement that he's calling us to, saying that today you need to be faithful. Today it's your responsibility to be faithful. Your preacher can't make you faithful. Your Sunday school teacher can't make you faithful. It's up to you to be faithful. You've got to be faithful in your quiet time. You've got to be faithful in your Bible reading. You've got to be faithful to the church of Jesus Christ. You've got to be faithful. It's required of you. If you're a born again, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you've got to be faithful to God. It's in the text. You say, man, you're passionate about that. I'm only passionate because it's here. The Word of God says it's required that you be found faithful. And so watch what he says here. He says this word, uh, steward, a faithful steward, will be undeniably obvious by their very nature that they're faithful. So you can't deny it. Man, I look out here today, and I see you here. Some of you have just, I mean, you absolutely, you've been here every single, you don't want to miss every single week. Faithful. This summer, this summer, I am just shocked at your faithfulness. We only dipped below 600 for the first time ever. We only dipped below 600 in Sunday school one week. And that's because we all decided to go to the beach. <laughs> and had I know we were all going to the same place, we would have had church on the beach. <laughs> Maybe that's something we need to do. Look at what he says here in the text. Let me, let me finish up. I've got to finish up. It is required of a steward that he be found. You see that word found? That word found is a fascinating word because it gives us the idea of someone that's meddling in someone else's business. You meddle in somebody's business. You ought to meddle in the church business and see that the church is faithful. The pastor ought to be able to meddle in your business and see that you're faithful. You ought to be able to meddle in my business and see that I'm faithful. 
Uh, listen to me, church, real quick. We, we've got coming up. We're about to vote on a new budget. We're just getting that ready. We're going to present it to you in a, in a meeting. And we're going to vote on that budget. And we're going to keep moving forward. It's going to be more next year than it was this year. By the way, you've given more this year uh, than you did last year. I mean, you've, it's just absolutely incredible. It's amazing. After we get the budget done, then we're going to be asking for uh, uh, recommendations for new deacons, some new workers, we're going to be asking for a recommendation there for new servants. And when you turn in those names, it's going to be my responsibility as well as the chairman of the deacon's responsibility, Brother J.R. Byes. We are going to see if you're biblically faithful. been doing it for four years now. We're going to continue to do it. And so we're going to be looking at your giving, your Sunday school attendance. We'll be looking at that. That's what this word means. It means to meddle in the business of the church. To meddle in there and see who's faithful. And if you're faithful, then we want them to be leaders. But watch this. Notice, not only do we see this repeated mandate, I've got to hurry, I'm out of time. He also, it goes by fast, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. Look at this. He also talks about a revealed mystery. I'm going to close up here. I'm not going to make it to point two. You might so, uh, I'm not going to make it. Uh, I'll just tell you right now. What are the mysteries of Christ? The revealed mystery. Look at verse number one again. He tells us there in the text. He says, you're also stewards of the mysteries of Christ, or the mysteries of God. What are the mysteries of God? What in the world is, is that? Well, in the Old Testament, the mysteries were concealed. The prophets would talk about them. You, you didn't know the Messiah, the Messiah. But in the New Testament, it's the mystery revealed. Some of the mysteries that have been revealed, if you would, take your Bibles and, and let's, let's look at them real quick over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter number 16. In Romans chapter 16, cast your eye at verse 25. Here is a mystery of God that's been revealed. All the mysteries of God, when the Bible speaks about the mysteries of God being revealed, uh, or the mysteries concealed, they're revealed in the New Testament. And so when Paul talks about the mysteries of God, Paul is going to identify, and there'll be in other books of the Bible, what those mysteries of God are. So we know what the mysteries of God are. Here's one of them. I'm only going to give you three to this uh, morning. Number one, the first one is, is simply found in Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. Look at what Paul says to the church at Rome. He says, Now to him that is of, of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret uh, since the world began, but now, there it is, verse 26, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the command of the everlasting God, made known to all the nations. What is that? What's he saying? The Great Commission. You can have your sins forgiven of you, not by going to a priest, not by sacrificing a lamb, but by knowing that Jesus was the sacrifice that paid your sin debt. He died, was buried, and rose again so that you might have eternal life. It was a secret in the Old Testament, but praise God, it is revealed in the New. Number two. The second mystery of Christ we can look at is Colossians chapter 1. Let's uh, turn over to Colossians. Let's, let's turn real quick, uh, very quickly today. Colossians chapter 1. I don't want you to miss it. It's so vitally important. Colossians chapter 1. Also in verse 25. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. That's just fascinating to me. Here it is, another mystery of God. He says, Where, whereof? 
I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from the ages and from all generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know what the mystery is that's revealed there? Is that salvation is not just for the Jews. Salvation is for the world. It's for everybody. Salvation, listen to me, sir. Salvation is for you. Ma'am, salvation is for you. Student, salvation is for you. Dear friend, salvation is for you. It's for everybody. And then the third mystery that we look at, and I'm closing. Ephesians 5, 32. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 32. Uh, you don't want to miss this. Uh, let's, let's turn over there. Many of us know this passage of Scripture. I added this uh, right at the end. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5. Somebody's been messing with my Bible. They moved Ephesians. Found it. Here it is. Ephesians 5, verse 32. He says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, you have to back up for context there, but you remember what he's talking about there. He's talking about husband and wife relationships. And he's talking about this issue of loving each other and instructions for marriage. And he gives these instructions and he talks about the husband as being the head. And for the sake, for the sake of time, and, the, and just, for, just look, uh, follow me on this. If the husband's the head, the wife ought to be the neck. And remember, the head can't turn without the neck. And so we've got to be careful that we don't have pain, a pain in the neck. Because, watch, watch. Because that affects the whole body. You ever get a pain in your neck and you giddy up hurt? Why is that? According to the Word of God, he says, look, in, in regard to this issue of marriage, I'm talking about my relationship to the church. That's a mystery that's been revealed. We ought to submit and love one another. And so Paul says here in this text, in the first two verses, he, I'm closing up shop, I'm out of time. He just says this. He says, in the arena of being a servant, he says we ought to be cooperating together and we ought to be serving together. We're rowing in the same direction. Dear friend, are you rowing with us? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this uh, morning, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. You'll never row in the direction you need to row in apart from Jesus Christ. You will just go around and round in circle. Dear friend, if you're here today, and you would like to know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then the Bible says you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Right now, right where you're sitting today, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. 
And this morning I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sin. And wash me white as snow. And give me the victory in Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray.